You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com. The largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton and Alex Barallo. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am joined tonight, as usual, by my co-host, Alex Varallo. Alex, how you doing tonight? How you feeling after the win? What are you thinking, buddy? Doing well. Um, looks like we uh, put together a, a small little win streak here. Uh, we're, on, we're on the right path. Um, so, you know, things are, are trending up for the moment, and let's hope it stays a while. Yeah, so, you know, Jets go on the road, beat a bad Redskins team 34-17 and one of those games where, as they say, uh, the, the the game wasn't as close as the box score would indicate. Redskins score a touchdown with a couple minutes to go uh, with the Jets up 34-10, 34-11. Yeah, it's 34-11 at that point when uh, Jeremy Sprinkle scores on a one-yard touchdown. So the Jets in in this game, you know, I think – you know, we talked about it. There were not many games left on the schedule that were winnable. This was one of them, due largely in part um, to the fact that you have, even with all the injuries on defense, you have a Greg Williams defense going against a rookie quarterback making what its first, second NFL start. So you had to believe the Jets' defense was going to come up and uh, and shut down the Redskins' offense. They did just that, and the Jets' offense comes out and really, you know, I mean, if they, if, they, if they could just get Sam Darnold to play the way he does on the opening drive for, you know, 30% of the time, they would be uh, they would be fantastic. He, I mean, he's been almost – I mean, I saw the numbers the other day over the last four weeks. I believe he's 25 for 26 with four touchdowns on the opening drive um, over the yep. last four weeks. It's absolutely insane. Uh, but of course, you know, as as people have been saying, that's that's sort of the scripted part of your offense. You run that, you run those plays over and over again throughout the week. You know, twelve, fifteen plays, um, and that's not a knock on Donald. Obviously, it's it's a great job by him, great execution. Uh, Adam Gase, who, and we'll actually talk about it later. You know, working together with Donald, there was a big story that came out about that, about those two working together. But what are your thoughts on this? This uh, the way this. They've been chugging along on the opening drive the last four weeks. Then they tend to stall out a little bit and and then try to bounce back from there. Yeah, it really seems that uh, they they've collectively put together good game plans to to begin the game. And then, of course, like you said, it's how consistent can you be after your your scripted plays and 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 that's where we've seen some struggles. But you know, for for an offense that has basically been tripping on their own feet. It, it took them long, a long time to figure out uh, how to get a good rhythm going, and it seems like the last couple of weeks they, they found uh, a rhythm by by committee. Uh, Darnold's done a really good job spreading it around, um, getting multiple receivers involved. Um, there's still a little bit to be desired out of the running game, but in spurts and in situational football, uh, 
we've done just enough. You know, can't go and brag too much because we, we've definitely gone up against uh, two poor, struggling football teams the last couple of weeks. But you have to take what you can get. Um, wins are wins at the end of the day. And uh, you, you have to like how uh, Sam Darnold has taken more progressive steps rather than, you know, regressing. So as, as we've heard over the last month or so, that Sam's mechanics have been regressing. So it's good to see that he's, he's fighting through this and, and the offense is, is beginning to gel in certain aspects. Yeah. In regards to the offense, I, I said this during the game. Um, and it's, that's why I think it's interesting that, uh, that we did find out what we did about Gase and Darnold during the week um, in terms of their, their approach. But, uh, and I, you know, I say it all the time. It's, I I don't like to oversimplify things. I don't like to pretend that uh, that I know better than the coaches do. But I, I do say that sometimes you look at coach, and you, I mean, you hear players say, you hear former players say it, that sometimes coaches overcomplicate things. They overthink things. And I feel like with uh, with Adam Gase this year, there are a few things, especially after the opener. I was especially uh, upset with this. You know, this is, of course, before we knew Sam had mono and all that. Um, and thought that may have been a factor. But we kind of saw it continue, you know, for the first few games after he returned. But I, I was pretty vocal about the fact that I, I didn't understand why Adam Gase wasn't – we weren't seeing Donald roll out. And for anyone that watched him in college and anyone that watched him as a rookie, like it was clearly some of his best work came when he had to roll out and, and throw on the run. Like, that was one of his strongest, you know, one of the strongest aspects of his game. But we weren't seeing it in, in Adam Gase's offense. Um, Le'Veon, I actually tweeted earlier in the day, uh, prior to the game, that last year with the Steelers, uh, Le'Veon Bell had lined up in the slot 77 times for Mike Tomlin last year, or two years ago, his last full season. Um, and this year under Adam Gase, he lined up in the slot 13 times. And he said, oh, he has to stay in the block. You can line him up in the slot and put Bilal Powell in the backfield. Like, he doesn't have to be in the backfield every single play. Bilal Powell is a damn good blocker. He's not a liability. So that argument to me, that makes no sense. Um, I criticized them early in the year for not using Ryan Griffin enough because of the fact that they were, they were in such dire need of, a, of a, a contributor on offense. And Griffin, through the first three, four games, had like two or three catches. Um, I say, I feel like I say every week you got to take a, a deep shot to Robbie from time to time to open things up a little bit. And this, I'm sure you remember, Alex, you know, that, that I kept going on and on about how uh, Compton should be given a shot to compete for that starting job against Brian Winters, which I kind of mm-hmm. I kind of let that argument die um, really early in camp because I, I think it was like the – I forget how – it was very early in camp. Um, and Adam Gase just commented about how Brian Winters and Kalichi Osemele were just these great, aggressive road – like, it was clear the jobs were being handed to them. And I thought, well, there goes that idea. Like, I, I like the idea of, of Compton competing with Winters. That didn't happen. Um, so those are, these are all things I was he- highly critical of Adam Gase for. And then we saw – with the, I mean, Robbie, one deep shot, would have liked to see more than that. 
But what, what have we seen the last couple of weeks? We've seen Sam rolling out. We saw Bell make a big catch out of the slot last week. Griffin has become a, a revelation at tight end. I don't see how you don't get that guy re-signed. Compton starts over Winters because out of necessity he had to um, with Winters going on IR. But all these things that are not, to me anyway, like not rocket science, they're evident. They're there. We know we know Donald does well rolling out. We know Bell's history out of the slot. We know Griffin is better than a, you know, he was on pace for like 70 yards on the season through the first few weeks of the year. We know Compton is at least comparable to Brian Winters, which makes it that much more mind-boggling that a banged-up, you know, dislocated shoulder Brian Winters was still on the bench behind Compton. We see some of these things start changing in the last couple of weeks, and all of a sudden the offense is putting up points. And, and I want to ask you, Alex, what are your thoughts? Because now this is the, the story I was going to get to. We heard during the week that it was actually Sam Darnold after the Jacksonville game who went to Adam Gase. It wasn't Adam Gase adjusting it. I mean, he adjusted, but it was because Sam Darnold went to him and said, listen, here, here's what I'm good at. Here's what I'm comfortable with. I mean, are, are coaches coming in like an, and I worry, I wonder about this with Joe Douglas with the, with the, the, the Jonathan Harrison getting sent to the bench for Ryan Khalil. I mean, Khalil had been injured and ineffective last year. And are, I guess, are these guys watching the film? Are these guys taking over and just saying, like, nope, I'm here, we're doing it my way, last year means nothing? Because it, it feels that way. It feels like Joe Douglas just said, well, Ryan Khalil's an all-pro, Jonathan Harrison's not, I'm going to give Ryan Khalil $8.4 million. And it seems like Adam Gase came in and he said, well, maybe Le'Veon Bell played in the slot in Pittsburgh, I don't do that. Maybe Sam Darnold rolled out a lot, I don't do that. And it took... Darnold going to Gase to point out to him that, hey, maybe we should do the things I'm good at, and now that's happening, and it, now it's exciting, because now you put up 34 points yeah. two weeks in a row, and I don't care what defense you're playing. I don't care, and I'll talk more about that when you, when you give your thoughts on, on what, I've just, uh, what I've just said. What, what are your thoughts on that? And then we're going to talk about this Washington defense that the Jets just hung 34 points on. Yeah, I think it's a good thing that there's open communication that rather than you know, Sam was a pretty much a yes man his rookie year. Uh, he didn't really want to, I guess, as an inexperienced player, just kind of, you know, trust your coaches, listen to what they say, you know, execute the play that they want you to execute. Um, and, you know, clearly without him admitting to it, there was probably some calls or some plays or, you know, certain schemes that, he wasn't really comfortable doing that, you know, he just allowed Jeremy Bates to just take the control of uh, the offense entirely. And, and he wasn't giving much feedback on things that he didn't really understand. So it's good that there's an open line of communication between these two. Um, you know, is it a good thing that the head coach is not picking up on that? Um, you know, maybe not, but uh, I'm just happy that they're both on the same page and, even though Gase may want to be running, you know, let's say he's got like 10 chapters of his offense. He wants to be on chapter seven or eight at this point in the season. Maybe he's just got to dial it back a little bit, water it down, make things a little bit simpler, and then start building off of the things that Sam is more comfortable doing. Uh, because once you get him into a rhythm and he starts getting more confidence, the, the bigger plays will, will come, I feel. So I'm kind of glad that they're working collectively together and 
you know, with all the things that we hear about, you know, everything's Gase's way. He's a little bit of a hard-nosed guy, and it's my way or the highway. It's good that he's being receptive, I feel. So I, I like how the relationship uh, or the current relationship between uh, Gase and Darnold at this point. Um, you know, as far as, like, the, the offense and the things that suit um, Sam's particular needs uh, as far as, like, rolling out and getting in motion and, and setting up plays like that, I kind of feel that not having a full grasp of what this offensive line was capable of doing early on um, maybe hindered them from opening up those style of plays because Brandon Shell looks a little herky-jerky and, and not as fluid coming off his knee surgery from last year. Um, Ryan Khalil clearly was not in the best of shape when he came into it. Uh, we know Coleccio Semley was dealing with a shoulder injury and he wasn't being as tenacious as we all anticipated. So maybe it was just not having the right personnel um, in early on in the season to execute these style of plays that, that suit, you know, Darnold's needs. Maybe that's possibly the, the reason to this madness. Um, but, you know, we kind of had said it out earlier in the year that it, it, no one should have, uh, should be set in stone with the starting position, especially when you have new, people coming into the front office, everybody should have to earn their spot. And, you know, clearly uh, the more athletic guy, the younger guy um, at the center position was Jonathan Harrison. And and that probably would have been the better thing to do for this team to start out. Um, At least let Khalil spend a week or two learning the offense and then integrating and and working his way and earning the spot rather than just having it uh, being handed to him, like you just said before. So, I kind of feel like, you know, we said it took him a long time to figure out an identity. And I don't know if it's completely set yet, but it does seem like this is a team that uh, can mix and match their formations and tighten things up and then spread you out and, and play situation football and, and get Sam out in space. And these are the things that, that we should continue to see so that Sam can, can, you know, I guess blossom in the right direction and, and, and gain more confidence because Sam's got all the talent in the world as far as his arm is concerned. And it's just a matter of him believing it and, and him having more confidence, you know, being comfortable with every play in, in Gase's playbook. Yeah, I think, uh, I think the O-line definitely impacted it, but I also feel that, you know, when it comes to Gase, that the, uh, a lot of, there's been a lot of talk about how, you know, how could the offense uh, operate with a struggling old line? How could they operate, you know, when they, when they, when you had Luke Falk back there. And to me, it's, it's, it's a weird way to, to excuse Gase because these were his decisions. Like we know now he Mm -hmm. had a better center on the roster, but benched him. He had probably, I mean, I will say Compton is better than a broken winters and winters has been broken if we're, to, if we're to believe it, since training camp. So he's had a better option at center, passed it up. He had a better option at right guard, passed it up. Um, he's the one that brought Luke Falk with him from Miami, you know, before we knew he couldn't play football. So a mm-hmm. lot of, you know, I saw Connor Hughes, and Connor is really on this sort of mission to, to excuse Gase of all his wrongdoing this year and, uh, you know, saying that, oh, all these things are stacked against Adam Gase. And it's kind of like, well, you had the players in your locker room. Like, they were on your roster the guys who were better than the dudes who were getting your quarterback killed. And to me, Gates is the one benching them. 
Um, so it's not as if he didn't have these guys and Joe Douglas went out and got him a guard and a center, and now he's plugging them in and things are better, and you can go, oh, well, there you go. That was the problem all along. Well, the problem all along is that they weren't good and you were playing them. Um, but I think, uh, you know, an interesting thing that came out of this week was that the offensive line, you know, did look better. And Alex Lewis actually played a pretty good game, too, uh, from what I saw on film. Yeah. So he did a good job. He had a nice Absolutely. job from the interior. And, and you know, you got to give credit. I've not heard nearly enough credit being given um, to Brandon Shell because I'm not sure this game would have turned out the way it did if Ryan Kerrigan was able to just beat up Chuma Adoga for the rest of the day. Chuma, Chuma yeah. Adoga is a guy, I, I liked him a lot. I, I mocked him to the Jets. I had Jets taking him. But I thought he was a guy who needed a year in an NFL weight, weight program, weight training program, um, just wasn't strong enough. And we saw that. We saw him get absolutely steamrolled twice by Ryan Kerrigan and then he gets that early ankle injury, and he comes out, and Ryan Kerrigan was not heard from again for the rest of the game. And that yep. that changed a lot um, because, you know, you watch those two plays, and you knew this is going to be a long day for Chuma Adoga. And and you kind of felt like Kerrigan might get himself four sacks today and, and, a, and a boatload and of pressure. And where do you go from so, – What's that, that just brings up a question. Where do you go from here on out now that you, you have two capable right tackles, the rookie kid struggling in spurts, a um, little banged up? Do you go back to Brandon Shell moving forward? I mean, honestly, after what we saw last week, I don't know how you don't. I mean, unless, you know, unless you do it based on matchups, you know, because Adoga might do a better mm-hmm. job against an edge, a speed rusher than Shell. Maybe if you're going against a power guy right. at Shell – speed guy, it's a doga. Maybe, listen, I didn't love it, but a few years ago when Todd Bowles alternated uh, Quale and um, and Ben Ajalana, you know, drive by drive, mm-hmm. swapping them out. Um, something like that. I mean, you want the chemistry there. You want the continuity. But you kind of feel for Brandon Shell if he gets sent back to the bench this week. That dude's probably sitting there going, man, I, I saved Sam's ass last week. You know, like, he was going to get killed. I came in and, and shut down the, the guy who was steamrolling the rookie. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But I think one of the one of the other things that was that really stood out, I think, to a lot of people, how about the uh, the performance of Bilal Powell? Finally, mm-hmm. finally getting a couple touches. Um, yeah. Seven carries for 42. I mean, that's probably a better average than every single one of Le'Veon Bell's uh, games this season. So that's, um, I mean, there have been, let's see, I'm, I'm thinking, one, two, three, four, five, six. There have been seven games this season where Le'Veon Bell didn't get to 42 yards. And um, yeah, actually, no, I'm sorry, I take that back. I was I, I was looking at the wrong number. One, two. Okay, there have been three. But but keep in mind, he's getting double-digit carries every single week, with the exception of the Jacksonville game. So Bilal Powell comes in seven carries, 42. Um, that's better than anything they've gotten out of Bell. And people are pointing to the running style. That Bell is a patient back who needs mm-hmm. who needs to wait for the holes to open up, and that doesn't happen on right. the offense. And Bilal Powell is just take it, put a foot in the dirt, and go. And we saw much better results with him. What do you do if you're Adam Gase? There, do you, do you, is there an uptick in Bilal, Bilal Powell's uh, touches in the uh, in the near future, or do you go back to uh, you know once or twice a game, which is what Gase had done most of the year? Yeah, I think at this point forward. Uh, you have to run it by committee. 
um, and maybe go with a little bit of the hot hand uh, at this point. You know, Bell is not 100% healthy. Uh, he's nicked up in different areas. So I I had alluded to that uh, on game day. I said today would be a great day to, to see a little bit more 88 and 29, um, you know, mainly due that if we were to struggle against Washington, um, then, then yeah, it, we really got some issues here. But it was it was good to see that they mixed it up. And, and what I really liked is, and I guess you can tell with the running styles, is that it was a little bit more of a power football concept. Um, got a couple extra tight ends on the field. Uh, Trayvon Wesco was in the mix, being used as an H-back and a fullback. Um, he got his most snaps um, in this game that he has year to date. Um, so I'm do some really, really good things. Um, obviously we've talked about him at length and his blocking ability. So I kind of feel that, you know, if you have a, a team that, you know, likes to play zone defense and kind of sit back on their heels and, and you just kind of want to get little chunk yardage here and there, four or five yards a, at a pop, uh, Blal Powell is the guy to do it in between the tackles. And, and we've all seen his ability. We know that he's got, uh, big playability in, in those legs as well. So I'm just glad to see that, you know, this was, you know, in, in Bilal Powell, we never really thought we were ever going to see him in the Jet uniform again. And he kind of mm-hmm. was very, very uh, fragile throughout the training camp process. And he was inactive a lot for the first month of, of the year. And we just kind of thought he was just going to be just a buried, you know, uh, fan favorite for, for the season. And, and I'm glad that now he's starting to get yep. more opportunities. And, and I definitely think you have to continue to utilize that skill set. Because um, like you said, you know, Bell has to adjust and start kind of running more like Bilal and, and be a straightforward runner and a downhill guy and get your shoulders over your knees and, and, and move the pile. Um, you know, the, the patient running style clearly has worked in the past for him, but I think he needs to adjust and, you know, even as as stellar um, that Bell is as a running back, you know, even those guys need to alter their game sometimes um, to deal with what they're working with. And, and this offensive line is kind of patch and go every week. Uh, so you have to play to the strengths of what you got. And I think Bell needs to make an adjustment uh, so that he could be a little bit more effective uh, when he gets his carries because I just – it looks like two different types of offenses when you were looking at the, the series that Bilal Powell had compared to, uh, you know, some other series that, that, that Bell was doing. So uh, I like the, the power football scheme. I think that maybe with the offensive linemen that we have, we're probably more geared toward a power football running, um, you know, moving forward rather than maybe this zone blocking scheme, um, you know, that I've heard about so much. I just don't think we have the personnel to execute um, Adam Gase's run run the game plan, and and quite frankly, I don't think his running game plan is that that great. I mean, clearly, uh, Bell averaging around 50 yards a game is just you know it's not good enough. So you know, Gase it's has terrible. to figure out I mean, we, get we, him going too. Yeah, we all nobody expected Le'Veon Bell to put up the type of numbers he put up on Pittsburgh. You know, 1,800 yards from scrimmage just because of the fact that the Jets don't have the the O-line to get that done. But nor did you expect him to be at 50 yards a game because that's just absolutely embarrassing. And 50 yards a game on the ground and zero action through the air. 
Um, you know, my, again, yeah. a couple swings and screens, but we're not seeing him lined up outside. We're not seeing him lined up in the slot. It was such a relief to see him finally make a play in the slot. And you think, okay, we're going to see this a few times today. And that was it. They never went back to it, which, again, I, I just don't get it. I mean, you're trying to win football games. And, I, you know, obviously they win the game. But, again, play to your guys' strength. You know, get how, – how here's what's frustrating is <clears throat> how can you not – like, I watch – anytime I watch any other team – I feel like they find ways to get their players open in space, and we just don't mm-hmm. haven't seen that with Le'Veon Bell. It's been you know right. screen swing, screen swing, screen swing, and as far as receptions out of the slot, was it, what was that his second one this year? Maybe. Um, I mean, like I said, he's only lined up there 13 times all year. I don't even I'm not even sure how many times he's been targeted, but I feel like. I just it's it's so maddening. You watch these other teams, and you just see quarterbacks dumping the ball over the middle to a guy, you know, hitting hitting a running back in stride or a tight end in stride, and uh, in open space with like some room to run before he's got to make a move. And with the Jets, whatever they're doing, it's it's bang bang like balls caught, defender is right there. And when you just look at it, you know, even even Berrios, as little as we've seen of him. He does look like he has some elusiveness, and I'm like, why is there not an effort to get this guy on the field and and get the ball in his hands? And I know it's easier said than done. I get it, but this is what mm-hmm. Adam Gase was brought in for because you know his, his offensive acumen is his ability to, to scheme. So it's been frustrating, but but the game itself, we we've talked about it. But let, let's go into a little bit more detail. Um, you know, I talked about how Sam Darnold came out absolutely on fire for the fourth week in a row. Great to see Jamison Crowder has been an absolute monster. Uh, you know, Sam opens up by hitting him for a short gain, seven, eight-yard gain. Then they go Bell. Then it's Demarius Thomas for a catch. Then they go Bell again. So a nice mix, you know, and then, then they hit Crowder for 17. So a nice mix of run, pass, run, pass, run, pass. So they, they did a good job there. Darnold and uh, quick side note, you know, he had a heart attack twice in this game. First one came on the opening drive when Darnold rolled out to his left, that beautiful 20-yard floater to Daniel Brown. We saw a couple of really nice touch passes from Sam in that game. Uh, because of yep. the angle, and I glanced away, like literally blinked, I thought for a very split second that he had hit Trevon Wesco for that touchdown, and it wasn't Daniel <laughs> Brown. And Trevon Wesco was about to be my favorite player because just for the hell of it, I put 10 bucks on Wesco to score the first touchdown of the game. And the odds on that were a hundred to one. For like less than a oh, second, geez. I thought I won a thousand dollars on the first drive of the game. And uh, oh, luckily, it didn't last long enough for me to throw anything because the realization that it was Brown hit me, and I was like, ah. But I was still, you know, still pumped to see him get the touchdown. That was huge. And uh, and I kept you know the story away, of the day for the Jets really. And then he threw the touchdown. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I need a flag. I was like, oh, um, but you know. <laughs> Yeah, Jets' defense came out strong. Um, you know, as we expected, rookie quarterback Adrian Peterson didn't do a whole lot on the day. Um, Jets, you know, didn't score in their second drive. Third drive was stalled out on Kerrigan's first sack. And that, you know, that one, that, that was a tough one because you kind of, you didn't, you, you wanted to see that, like, let's get the offense going now. Let's put together multiple scoring drives back-to-back. Um, but they did come out and score on their next drive. That was on the Robbie Anderson touchdown, Robbie's only catch of the day, um, which is another mind-boggling number. Like, he is, he is invisible in this offense. This is a guy, Alex, I think any, any objective fan that watches Robbie Anderson over the last couple of years 
should be able to tell you that this team, that Robbie Anderson w- would be coming off back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons if not for either injuries to the quarterback or just terrible quarterback play. And uh, now in this offense, he's, he's, a, he's a 12 yards per game guy over the last few weeks. It's been absolutely maddening. Uh, but that, that put the Jets up by a couple touchdowns. Washington would, score, would kick a field goal a little later on. Then Donald hits Griffin again. Ryan Griffin really making a name for himself. Um, that, was, that put the Jets up by or that, that tacked on another touchdown. And that was actually, that was, yeah, Ficken hit that extra point, didn't he? I was going to say he missed the extra point there. But he hit the extra point. Jets didn't find the end zone again until the fourth quarter when it was Crowder on a beautiful ball down the left sideline. What are your thoughts on, on the emergence of Jameis Crowder? One, he really, really stepped it up. Yeah, that, that was easily was one that? of my, my favorite plays that, that was called. Because um, we know that, um, even going back to his scouting reports with Darnold, that he has a lot of arm talent, but he's not um, a, as accurate as you would think on his deep balls. Um, and clearly we've seen that where sometimes he overthrows, sometimes he underthrows. Um, Robbie Anderson finds ways to get separated from his defenders each week. And there was that one kind of um, – it was a progressive play where he was kind of running a, a deep crossing route and he had more than five yards of separation on the defender, but you know Sam miscues his throw and and and, and doesn't get doesn't lead him as as you know you would want him to. But as far as that play that that Crowder scored on, it was just it was a thing of art because he he had uh, the Griffin was lined up to the right, kind of extended as a you know that that Y flex tight end, and then you had trips to the left with Crowder lining up on the inside, Robbie Anderson goes vertical, um, kind of attacking the post, keeping the safety at home. And Thomas runs kind of like a little hook or a curl route to kind of create a rub route, but without contact. And just Crowder just slips underneath and, and gets to the sideline. You can't draw it up any better than that. You know, in that 30 to 35 yard range, that's where Sam Darnold can really, you know, put some nice touch and accuracy on the ball. Um, definitely one of my favorite calls that, that I've seen thus far from this offense. Um, and uh, to something you talked about earlier too, uh, that uh, it was at the end of the first half and that slot uh, reception that Le'Veon Bell made, what a throw by Sam to attack a cover that two was beautiful. defense to put that over the defender and just before the safety, it was an anticipated throw. Uh, Bell was already in motion, not even looking back for it, and the ball was in the air. Now, those are the things that we want to see from, from, from Sam Darnold. So, you know, the kid was on. Um, he had, uh, you know, some struggles here and there. He fumbled once. We got lucky. We got it back. Uh, he, he threw a, a bad interception on, on a weird double screen call. You know, some quarterbacks could – would lose their confidence at that point. I'm just glad that, you know, Sam doesn't have that in his uh, mental psyche where he can just kind of just keep going and after the next play and, and, and progress rather than digress. So definitely uh, good stuff from the young kid. Yeah. And then after that score, after that great throw to Crowder, we see, uh, we see the jets come out, force a turnover 
first pass from Haskins picked off by Neville Hewitt, first his first game back. Mm-hmm. Huge play for him. And then they go Le'Veon Bell for four, then Le'Veon Bell for one for the touchdown. So Bell gets in the end zone again. It's been a little while. Redskins score their, score their first touchdown in a million years on the next drive. Uh, Darius Geis on a, on a little short pass to the right, little swing. And uh, some sloppy tackling, but some. I mean, I think Geis is a good player. I remember the first time I saw him, I was watching an LSU oh, yeah. game. Leonard Fournette went out hurt, and Geis went for like I don't know, like 200 yards. It was insane, and I was like, Jesus, these guys are just churning out running backs right now. Um, liked him in the draft, thought he would be a first rounder. He was. He's obviously battled injuries, but that's a damn good player. Yeah. You know, you know, I'm not going to get too upset about that. And uh, so the Jets were done scoring on the day there. And then, as I said, the Redskins scored with a minute 15 to go. So, really, you know, game was well in hand. Uh, really, the only blemish on the day, as we know, and I tweeted this out. I don't know. I wanted to get your thoughts on this, Alex. Sam Darnold's lone interception, um, and it's a shame because it really is the, the lone blemish on the day. Um, yeah. ugly, ugly, ugly decision. You know, he should have he just – he should have eaten that. He shouldn't have thrown that ball. You were outside. But he did. But throw it in the dirt. Yeah, but but to me, I'm watching that replay, and it would have, you know, it would have been, it may not have even been back to the line of scrimmage. It might have been a, a loss of one. But that was a catchable ball to Ty Montgomery. Ty Montgomery alligator-armed it and just watched it go over his head. And get, like, I didn't notice it on the initial, like, live, I didn't notice it. And then when they show the replay from behind, from behind the, the defense, I see that. I mean, it's it's 100% a catchable ball for Ty Montgomery, um, and maybe that's mm-hmm. Sam just saying, "Hey, I'm dumping this off. Going to get rid of it. Give my guy a chance to make a play." And Montgomery just is like, "No thanks. Well, I'm right in the middle of the line. Yeah. Um, you know, right right in the thick of it, so to speak." And and he knows he knows if he catches that, he's not going anywhere. So it, it, whatever his reason was, I mean, the, the the only interception he threw on the day, bad decision, but still a 100% catchable ball that Ty Montgomery lets float and uh and it ends up being a pick but but all in all you have to be thrilled with the way the defense played you have to be thrilled with the way the offense played I I think the biggest criticism was probably early in the game second or third drive I think it was and I was I was screaming and I saw you know I go on Twitter and everybody's I don't add yeah there was a second drive they second or third drive Jets were absolutely on fire that first drive Sam comes out whatever he was six for six seven for seven whatever it was and then on the next drive, third and eleven from midfield, and they they run the ball up the middle and, and give a, a give up play, which that drove some yeah. people nuts. And to me, that's rightfully so. Your quarterback's red hot. You're playing a team with one win. Like go, you know, try to make a play. Um, but uh, offense obviously did just fine with Ryan Khalil going on IR. And uh, w- what are your thoughts there, Alex? Do you is this a situation where the Jets just said, you know what, uh, Ryan? To spare as a as a respected all pro to spare you the indignity of being benched, we're going to go ahead and put you on yeah. IR because, as we know, or for those of you who don't, Khalil was kept out of practice one day. Um, we were told he was he was questionable, and then the next day he was downgraded to doubtful. And Rich Semini asked Adam Gase, uh, I believe it was Semini, may have been Manish. I'm I'm quite sure it was Semini. Uh, you know, Adam, what happened to Ryan yesterday? He was doubtful. He didn't practice, and now he's now, or he, he was, he was, he was questionable. Now he's doubtful. Um, was was there a setback? And Adam Gase just says, "I don't know. That's just what we're doing." Like you would think, you would know if you're the head coach, 
if there was a setback, if there was a reason to go from, you know, from one status to a downgraded status. So the you kind of expected a – the question seemed quite obvious. Like what was – you would have almost expected to say what was the setback, not was there one, because if a guy's downgraded, clearly something had to have happened. And Adam Gase just says, I don't know, we're just doing that. And then a couple a day or two later, they put him on IR. Um, so your thoughts on the Khalil experiment? Um, do you think you, this really was an IR thing, or was this the Jets saying, you're a vet, you've done your time, we respect you, we're not just going to tell the world that Jonathan Harrison has taken your job, we're going to say you're going on yeah. IR, take your $8.4 million and go back into retirement? I think it was more or less that just to, you know, Joe Douglas trying to, uh, you know, save, save uh, himself from, from, you know, a poor decision that he had made. Um, it, it, everything looked good about it. it. It seemed like the logical thing to do. Um, you know, everybody was behind it. Let's not be on, you know, let's not, you know, lie about it here. I, I, I did question it, you know, what he, what kind of shape would he be in, you know, things like that. Um, but at the end of the day, I clearly think that from what they saw, what Jonathan was doing over the last couple of weeks, it looks like he could get us through the rest of the season. And there's just no point in putting in another vet who's working through an injury and not playing at a hundred percent. And I think that they've come to terms that, you know, the healthy guys, uh, talent level or accolades, whatever you've done in the past means nothing at this point because uh, you have to live in the here and now in the NFL. And, and if you got a healthy guy that, that's hungry and has fresh legs and hasn't played all year and can keep your, give you honest play, you have to go forward with that player. Uh, so I think that that's kind of what, what happened here. And uh, maybe that's the, kind of the same situation with Tremaine Johnson. You know, rather than having this $17 million guy hanging in the wind, uh, you know, clearly not on the good side of the fan base, they just kind of said, all right, we've got young kids here that we want to play. Uh, we don't want this to look bad on the organization that we're benching a $17 million, you know, quote-unquote elite premier defensive back free agent signing from the year prior. You know, it's going to be riding the pine the rest of the year. So let's just shut them down. Um, bury him in the roster and, and get the young guys a chance to to make some plays and and, and uh, you know see what they can do and and the best way to progress is to get more reps and to get out there and, and get a you know your exposure so I think that's kind of the decisions that have been made over the last couple of weeks is you know we got to see what we have from these younger guys for next season and Alex. You know, speaking of injuries, guys going on IR, I'm sure we talked about this a few weeks ago. If not, it's one of the 50 million things that I think about with this team and maybe didn't mention. Um, but is it time to just put Mosley on IR and just say, look, man, you, no, we don't know, know what the hell's wrong. We don't know when you're going to be better. And, you know, Worst like, what's the point bring What are you going to do? You're going to send them out there to, to, to tear? What's the point? Like, just sit down. Right. Some you know some of these other linebackers are doing a nice job, um, but I mean hell maybe you know as I'm saying it I'm thinking out loud or you know, or, or I'll think out loud here and just say you know maybe maybe you do hold off and say on the off chance you beat the Raiders and then you got a couple couple more weak teams after that maybe maybe you want to have them come back I mean it, it's all 
you know, the the, te- the chances of this team making it, playing any type of meaningful football is is incredibly unlikely. Um, too many good teams up left on the schedule. Really, I mean, you're not beating Baltimore. You're probably not beat. Well, who knows what the hell what's going on with Mason Rudolph? Who, that guy. Uh, who knows if how beatable the Steelers will be? But I don't know. I I just look at the Mosley thing and I'm like, just just go on IR. Stop with this charade. It's it's a wasted roster spot. Go ahead and bring somebody up from the practice squad, and and go from there. But um, but would you put him on IR or or is it worth stringing this out and saying, hey, if we can play him week, you know, fourteen through seventeen, at least it's it's some reps in the system. Yeah, I guess you know he's a he's a warrior. Um, even if he's hurt, he's going to tell you he can go because that's just his mentality. You appreciate that, but you know, you don't want him to to get injured even more and you don't want him to hurt the team by him not being able to give us a hundred percent. If we lose this week and, and let's say, you know, we give Cincinnati their first win on the year. Uh, yeah. Let's not, let's not take a player that, you know, we want to be the leader of this defense and, you know, let's just say he has a slight tear uh, you know, in that in his lower abdomen, or you know, in that round that groin area, because people were alluding to sports hernia surgery um, when Adam mm-hmm. Gates said there may be something deeper going on, and that would be the worst thing that could happen. Is that this is what if the scenario is he just needs time, and and this is just going to be like this is like a really really bad strain, or there maybe there's a slight tear. If that tear turns into something worse. And then it leads to him having off-season surgery, and then his timetable is delayed going into next year. That's just like a really, really bad scenario. So maybe, you know, like you said, the best thing to do at this point is, you know, James Burgess and Neville Hewitt uh, played 100% of the snaps last week. Uh, they both looked pretty darn good. Uh, I like the the defensive adjustments that Greg Williams has made over the last couple weeks been seeing a little bit more of the 4-3 action because I think that we are stronger at the defensive line than we are at the linebacker position so that that's just logical in my mind to to run with a little bit more of a 4-3 especially when you have with the way Jamal Adams is playing right now you can do those kind of things because he makes up for so much of the holes that are on this defense so um, I, I, I feel way more comfortable um, after the last two weeks of watching Bur- Burgess and, and seeing Neville Hewitt coming back in the fold and, you know, not knowing is he going to get, you know, all the snaps at middle linebacker, are they going to rotate Brandon Copeland? No, not the case. He went in, he played every snap, he created a big turnover that led to a score. Um, he was all over the field, um, didn't look like he had any setbacks. So, you know, They've got a good defensive unit. The defense is, is, is rolling hot right now. Excuse me. So I think that you just have to kind of continue to play with, with what you got. I mean, Greg Williams is doing a heck of a job coaching this year. We don't talk about it enough because there's been so many moving parts. You know, all the focus has been on, like, the struggles of the offense. People have just not talked about how, you know, the last two weeks we've had rookie cornerbacks starting on the outside, and they're holding their own. And that's mainly because the guys up front are doing their job. Jamal Adams is playing like a man on fire. And we're, we're getting some edge presence from, from players like Jordan Jenkins and, 
and even, you know, spurts with Terrell Basham and Kyle Phillips. All these guys are just doing their job. So, you know, I like the way things are trending, and, you know, there's no need to force C.J. Mosley. I love the con- the aspect of just knowing that he can come back next year at 100% health, and that's going to make this defense so much more better than what it is right now. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because that was going to be one of the next things I was going to mention is – Greg Williams, because of the fact that this defense now has 16 sacks in its last three games, which is really just mm-hmm. mind-boggling. And and to tie that in um, with the, the 2018 draft class, which now – I mean, let's talk about Nathan Shepard here for a second. Um, mm-hmm. wh- wh- one thing that, I just, that irritates me – and I, I, I shouldn't get as agitated as I do by, by uh, people who say stuff like this, but um, like you say Nathan Shepard is playing well and they, one, accuse you of saying he belongs in the Hall of Fame, um, and two, <laughs> they jump to the fact that the, the Jets are playing bad teams right now. And the reason why those things are idiotic, one, nobody's putting anyone in the Hall of Fame. We're just seeing some positive mm-hmm. signs from him trending in the right direction, which is really what you're looking for in year one and two and even three in some cases with guys. Like, is this player getting better? Um, And the Jets didn't play, like, all pro teams every week last year. Like, Nathan Shepard had some opportunities against some not-so-great teams last year, and he did nothing. He was invisible. Like, he had a – I can literally remember – probably five or six plays. And I remember a few of them came in one game, so I was getting a little optimistic. There was one game where it was like, oh, he was close, almost made a play. There was one play, one, I forget who it was against. He had what would have been a surefire sack, and, like, the offensive lineman tackled him. And it was like, all right, we're, we're, we're seeing a couple things, maybe, maybe. Well, but it never panned out. He never made a play. Now he gets a sack a couple weeks in a row, and we see Fadokasi being a big part of the reason why this defense is number one against the run in the NFL. That guy has been an absolute monster in the middle of this defense. So you look at Fadakasi, you look at Shepard, you know, appearing to be coming on. Now, of course, uh, Chris Herndon, done for the year with, with the injuries yeah. he's had. And, again, this is a similar thing. I'm, I, I'm seeing people write Chris Herndon off. Oh, well, can't count on him. He can't stay healthy. Listen, I don't want to jinx anyone, so I won't mention any names, but there may or may not have been a player on the team last year who was hurt an awful lot, and people spent the entire offseason saying he was made. What's that? Uh, Knocking on wood. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, And people may or may not have said the dude was made of glass, and he's played just about every snap this season. Um, That may or may not be the case. I'm not saying any names. Um, and maybe but again, you got Dawn and and him playing off yeah. the TV screen because he's so far back in single high coverage. But could be, could be, hey, could be. I'll but I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to divulge any further information. But you got Darnold, nope. you got Shepard finally looking like he's coming on. And I'm not again, even if he's a starter, uh, doesn't he have to be? I'm not saying all pro. I'm not saying an all time great. Just if Nathan Shepard become a, can become a quality starter. Well, now you've got a franchise quarterback. I still believe that. You've got potentially a quality starter on the D-line, a damn good tight end who, yes, he's dinged up, but I'm not giving up on the guy because of, you know, 
a, a, a cracked rib and a, and a hamstring. Um, Perry Nickerson, of course, is gone. But Fadakasi looks absolutely dominant. And Trent Cannon, for the last pick in that draft, 204, I, I hope, my hope, and I said this all offseason, my hope is that there's a plan to find a niche for him on offense while he continues to be a fantastic gunner on specials, which he has been. Um, and all of a sudden, this draft, it, last, this time last year, you're going, well, there's Darnold, Shepard can't play, you got Herndon, Nickerson can't play, Fadakasi, you knew nothing about him other than the fact he was strong as an ox. But, you know, you kind of say, oh, sixth rounder, maybe he doesn't hang around. And is Cannon going to make the roster? All of a sudden, Cannon makes the roster. Fadakasi's playing like a monster. Shepard looks like he's at least coming along to where he'll be able to contribute. And then, of course, if you get Herndon back next year healthy, it's a pretty damn good draft class. Now, I know people are going to find, oh, there's no premium, you know, outside of Darnold. There's no corners. There's no edge rush. I get it. But if you can find four or five, even five or six good players, or sorry, four or five good players out of six picks, that's a pretty good draft. And, uh, yeah, do I, do I wish there was an O-lineman in there instead of a you know, 2-D lineman? Absolutely. But, but the bottom line is that that, that class as a group is, is looking a lot better than what they were before. And, uh, you know, I mentioned Shepard. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go so far as to say Nathan Shepard is a guy who would be a, you know, a, stud, a stud when we do studs or duds. Uh, which we'll, we'll segue into right now. I'm not saying he's on that level, mm-hmm. but just, hey, be a quality player. How about that? Uh, like, I'll take it. So uh, let, 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 let's kick off our studs and duds, Alex. We've got to recap the game, talk a little bit about Khalil, talk a little bit about the, a little bit about the O-line. But uh, go ahead and kick us off. Give us your three studs. Or we'll, we'll alternate again this time. Go 3-2-1 sure. on offense and then 3-2-1 on defense. And this is this is pretty difficult because there was a lot of quality play from from both sides of the ball here. Um, let's go with. Uh, Ryan I, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't. Uh, my number you, three. What do you start and start three? Two? We, we we don't normally do offense and defense. We'll just do top three players and bottom three players. Okay. Um, I'm gonna have to go with Ryan Griffin. Um, this. The, it was interesting because uh, he was like the man that just wasn't penciled into Washington's game plan whatsoever. Uh, he, he was a wide open in space one play for I don't even know how many yep. yards he got. He probably got had a good had thirty, a couple, like had forty yards where he was just wide open. Yep. Um, so they didn't really game plan for eighty four at all. So I'm glad that we found uh, Darnold found him because um, he looked pretty good and. and Obviously, with Herndon's situation, we need someone to, to fill that void. And it seems like Sam's the type of quarterback that, that likes to work his tight ends and, and get them into rhythm. So, you know, we definitely need uh, a good pass catcher and, from that position. And right now, Griffin is playing well enough to turn himself a spot for next year as far as I'm concerned. So he's definitely got to be in the top three for the, the studs. Yeah, I would love to see the Jets go out, and I, and I said it earlier in the week, because it was a week or two ago, I did a a piece saying that, you know, three guys the Jets need to re-sign, you know, you need, you need to bring Robbie back, even though I'm second-guessing that now, because Adam Gase has no use for him. Um, in most cases, I would say bring Robbie back. But I feel like you got to bring Jordan back, you got to bring Robbie back, and you got to bring Poole back. And now, to me, add Griffin to that. 
because he hell he's either going to be one part of a fantastic one-two combo, or if there are injury histories moving forward with Chris Herndon, you still got a tight end. So if I'm the Jets, I'm working to bring him back, and he's he's near the top of my list of of current free agents on the roster, and and for that reason, and I suspected this um, when I was putting studs and duds together. I think this week studs and duds are fairly obvious, and Griffin as well for me is my number three. Uh, who's your number two, Alex? Uh, number two, um, I'm going to have to go with Jamal Adams here. Um, you know, his, to, to quote the man, I feel like Kobe in the fourth. He's on one. So keep it going. Keep running hot. Um, I love the way I, uh, Greg Williams is utilizing you right now. Um, he's lining up all over the field as a cornerback, a linebacker, single high safety, cover two safety, an edge defender. He just does so much, and this is kind of what I was hoping for him to do, um, you know, going into year three of his process. It, it's time for him to to kind of separate himself from all the other safeties in the league, and I, I think he's he's on that, that pathway right now. And a, a quick, uh, quick side note on on Adams. I'd said on this show we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I'd said I thought it, you know he wants one of two things: a monster deal or a trade. And we we looked up the top paid safeties in the league right now. They're all sitting around fourteen million. Whether the Jets like it or not, what I don't know how Joe Douglas views his positional value. Although he is not a traditional safety. Do you pull the trigger if you're the Jets right now? Do you, do you say, you know what, Jamal, we're, we're willing – the highest-paid safety right now is $14 million. We're willing to go $15 million a year. Let's get this thing locked up. And, I mean, the Jets, ideally, you'd want to extend him beyond where you have him under contract now, but that might be something that he may not be willing to do. Um, Jamal Adams may want the Jets to rip up his contract and uh, at the end of the season and give him a brand-new deal. But has he done enough to where you say, all right, this guy is a, an elite player. The Jets don't draft many of those or haven't historically. This guy's going to be a game changer for years. If we don't pay, and here's the thing, if the Jets don't pay him $15, $16 million a year, someone else will. And Jets fans are going to watch him be great elsewhere. If you're Joe Douglas, do you get this done and give him the money and extend him? Or do you wait? To, do you try to use his, his, uh, his 50-year option and hope that he doesn't hold out? Because I've Personally, I think that's the route he'll go. I think he's going to say, trade me, or I'm going to hold out until you give me a monster deal. Yeah, um, I tweeted this just the other day, too. I, I really would like to utilize the fifth-year option. Um, I don't know if that's going to be possible. Um, we all know the fiasco that happened during the trade deadline, so the Jets may have put themselves in a tough position here to where they either have to get their checkbook out or uh, they're going to have to, uh, you know, open up the phone lines again. And uh, I, I kind of hope it doesn't go that route. Um, you know, we'll we'll see what Jamal, who Jamal Adams truly is and where he stands with his team in the offseason here. Um, I've jinxed myself numerous amount of times defending players <laughs> uh, with this team, so I have to <laughs> you're, you're kind of dial that back the, uh... down. <laughs> out of the vehemently defending players business, Alex. I've done it many times myself. Yeah, I, 
I think I'm going to retire from doing that moving forward because every time I think I got something to this team, they, they seem to or prove me wrong. Or defending so. guys who you want to see traded or, or, or released. That start defending the guys you need. my new angle. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Can, you know, do the fifth-year option, and then sometime in the middle of that fifth year, we, we give them the mega deal. But, I, yeah, all signs are leading to the Jets need to pay up or or deal the man, and, and I just – I, I don't like the situation of paying him way too early, but at the end of the day, if that's what you have to do to keep an elite player, then, then I suppose that that's what's going to have to happen. And we'll really, really see how good um, of an eye Joe Douglas has for talent by kind of bargain shopping and, and free agency. And then you have to just have a knockout draft. I hate to put that kind of pressure on a first year GM, but, that's the situation that Joe Douglas is in currently right now. Yeah, and I think uh, I think, like I said, the Jets are they're going to have to pay a ton of money for Jamal, whether they like it or not. Um, I think he's I think I think you have to do it though. I've you know I've said before you know and, and people I, it's important that people don't misunderstand. Um, I didn't care for his antics during the trade deadline. I thought it was childish. I thought it was immature. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not 100% sure it was 100% Jamal. You know, ad, agents agents know how to navigate these situations, and agents will tell guys, say this, say that. This is the message we want to get out to the fans. Get the fans on your side. Make the team look bad. And this is what Jamal was doing, you know, continuing to insist the team shopped them, even though we knew they didn't. Um, that being said, I, I want the guy to stay a jet. The guy just busts his ass on every single play. And he plays every yep. damn play like it's the final play of the Super Bowl. And you want that on your team. You know, do I wish, like one thing he did this week, and he's done it before, and I'm not a huge fan of it, especially when you're bad. Like when you're a terrible team and you lose 10, 11, 12 games every year, but whenever you get a win, you come out and say something like, well, I, I talked to the guys this week and got them fired up and, and they didn't let me down. It's like, well, why don't you just do it? If it's that simple, dude, why aren't you talking to them every week? Like I, when you lose – 12 games a year, 11, I don't hear you saying, well, I screwed up and I didn't get everybody pumped up, so we lost. Like, I mean, take credit. You played a fantastic game. But I, and it's not just about any player. I don't, I'm not a huge fan of, of players trying to take the credit for the great effort the team put forward um, and make it sound like it's that simple. I talked to the fellas and got them fired up. Well, did, why don't you do that the other 11 weeks? Because they sucked in all those games. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Um, my number two is Sam Darnold. Played a fantastic game. Again, minus the one interception. Two games in a row where he really looks like uh, the, the lights come on. And, and, and that I, I meant to touch on this earlier. I'm going to mention it now. All the talk about, oh, but we did it against Washington. It was the Redskins. It was Washington. But don't, the only reason he played well is because it's such a terrible team. Washington is a terrible team, but that is not a bad secondary. They're not great. I looked at the numbers before the game, 14th in the NFL in yards per game. No other quarterback had thrown four touchdowns against that secondary this year. And, you know, it could be because teams are running it down their throats. But it's not like this is a secondary without talent. You know, you've got, you've got Richard Sherman, who's, yes, of course, it's an aging Richard Sherman. He's not the player he used to be. But he's not a bad player by any stretch of the imagination. Landon Collins is more of a box guy, but, but he can cover a little bit. He's, all, he's not a bad coverage guy. So 
it's not like there's a there's not any good players on this Washington defense. And it's not as if every quarterback is going out there on a weekly basis throwing four and five touchdowns. Um, as I said, Donald was the first one to throw four against them this year. And I just I don't like the idea of uh, trying to take away the work that somebody has done. And I think Sam Donald did some really good work. Like I said, the touch on some of his passes was fantastic. The anticipation, the ability to avoid the rush and make big throws. I thought uh, I thought he had himself a damn good game and, you know, did what he does in terms of uh, making good throws while improvising. And I came away really impressed, again, minus the one throw. So uh, Donald is my number two. Who's uh, who's your number one, Alex? I'm I'm gonna guess it's it's Sam. Absolutely, um, the kid played very well. Um, you know, you just saw a lot of his uh, talents being shown this week. The anticipated throws, the the touch, the accuracy. Um, it, it, these are just all the things that you know, we just want to see week in and week out from from 14 and. You know, there's a, that particular play that really, really stuck out to me that, that was another great throw that he made. Um, it was the uh, Demarius Thomas kind of like one-handed grab while the defender was draping over him. Yeah, It was a tight, yeah, tight weight, though. You know, you, you can't throw that ball unless if you have arm strength and confidence. And when you're kind of – when you're rolling like that and you're running a little hot um, – you know, you feel like you can do that. You can make that throw, and and you could see that that Sam had confidence running into that game, and and that that was really impressive. So, um, kind of hoping that that that's what we see this upcoming Sunday, because we definitely have a bigger, uh, uh, or we have you know better competition this weekend. Um, Oakland's a little bit more of a complete team, and you know they're not a a stellar team, but they're they're kind of on the fence to where you know, they, they could be relevant in December and having meaningful games. So um, hopefully the Jets can play spoiler and Sam continues to run hot. And uh, without a doubt, you got to give 14 uh, the number one stud here. Yeah, I'm going with uh, the reason I'm going with Jamal at one, and I knew these would be the top three for both of us. Not sure what order we would put them in. I nearly went with Sam at one. Uh, the reason I'm going with Jamal is because he comes away with three sacks, which I think the number I saw was he's the first safety to do it, first DB since 97, or some, somewhere like that. Um, that That's like a, obviously, a sort of a once-in-a-generation performance. You don't see safeties get to the quarterback three times. He impacted the pass. Uh, you know, he had some pressures on top of that. So that was why he edged out Sam. Uh, quarterback throwing for four touchdowns, it's great. It's fantastic. I love it. I hope we see it every week. But it's not that – it's not as – nearly as rare of an achievement as uh, as a safety getting the quarterback three times. So kudos to Jamal Adams for that. And uh, listen, I started to say it earlier, I kind of got sidetracked, but Greg Williams, man, the job he's done with this defense. Um, you know, mm-hmm. the, the guy who probably, if I had to pick a fourth, if I had to pick a fourth guy, it'd be Bless Austin uh, because he has done oh, a yeah. fantastic job in his first two pro games. Absolutely, you know, looked, looked, phenomenal again against a, a rookie quarterback who's getting chased most of the time so that'll obviously make any corner look better <clears throat> but bless austin excellent job um and really arthur mullet like 
When do we start talking yeah, about quiet. this guy? If you're, he, if you're quiet and your name's not I, being I think mentioned, as you're the, doing your job. Yeah, and and I think that I think with in Mollet's case, fans are probably a bit less excited than they are with Austin because Mollet's been around for a few years, so you just kind of assume, well, if he's been around for a while and he hasn't cracked the starting lineup, he can't be that good. Um, and maybe he's not. We'll find out in time. Um, with Austin, it's that the potential, the newness, you know, it's, it's oh, this guy's he's, he's, we finally getting a chance to show what he can do. Um, so it's a bit, it's something that's fresh. So the, the, the potential, the ceiling is higher, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But when you, when you you know when you boil it all down, you've you've got Mollet and 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 a rookie Mollet who's never been a starter, and a rookie coming off a couple ACL injuries, and again all the injuries to the inside linebackers. Um, just what a phenomenal phenomenal job by Greg Williams. This is probably, and I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I've I've watched every Greg Williams defense throughout his career because that would be a out and out lie. But I can't imagine he's ever done a better job than this. I mean, this team is competitive more often than not, despite playing with either atrocious or highly inexperienced corners in a pass-first league. Um, different inside linebackers every single week. Is you know his one and two linebackers inside line. He's been out with mo- without most of the season. Hewitt missed a ton of time. Cashman has been been out for most of the year now. Um, and Greg Williams just keeps having his team ready to go. Jordan Jenkins having himself a really nice season. I mentioned earlier as a guy they should be trying to retain. Um, you just can't say enough, really, about Greg Williams. But what were your thoughts, Alex? I mean, you, you, as as was the case with most Jets fans, you've got to be really excited with what we've seen from Bless Austin. Yeah, you know, he, the way that I was watching him is, I could totally see him being like one of those stingy, like basketball kind of defenders where he's just kind of blankets you and he's got those long arms and he's just, you know, constantly getting steals and just using his uh, natural length to, to disrupt plays. Like you could see how um, the way he plays in, in a cover two zone, he can get deep, but He's got the quickness, the short area quickness skills to to get himself in good position. Um, he made a really really nice tackle against uh, the tight end uh, when he was kind of playing in a um, not a soft cover two zone, and and then he had a man to man coverage pass deflection to where it didn't look like he could make a play, and then at the last second he just positions his body, gets skinny, and gets you know the, utilizing that length. To, to make a nice pass deflection. So um, he's playing smart football at the moment. Um, you know, Oakland does not have crazy, crazy talented receivers. Um, they are much different from the guys that we've played the, the previous weeks. So this will be a good test to see, you know, how, how him and, and Mallet, um, you know, plays against, you know, players like Terrell Williams and, you know, rookie and Hunter Renfo and, um, you know, kind of not a lot of like flashy talent, but just guys that seem to be getting the job done for Derek Carr. And, and so this will be a good test for them to see kind of, you know, all right, this is your third game, a little bit better of an offense you're going to be going up against, you know, can you continue, um, can both these guys continue their quality play? Because again, we're not hearing their names. 
on third down with yellow flags on the field, which is a plus. Um, we're not seeing the back of their jerseys and them chasing, uh, you know, wide receivers for, for, for big plays, which is also a positive. And uh, they're sticking their nose in the run game um, in certain plays. You know, there's a particular play that's been floating around where um, Arthur Mallett um, maintains very, very good outside containment and takes on a pulling lineman and goes low on him, wipes him out of the play, forces the running back to come back into the, in, into the uh, inside of the field, and there's his teammates gang tackling him for, for a good run stop. And, you know, that's smart football. Um, that's 11 guys all being on the same page. And, uh, you know, there's certain players that are very talented that play finesse style that would not, uh, you know, just throw their shoulder or sacrifice their body when they see a 300-pound lineman coming, coming into space. And, and I'm glad to see that these guys uh, are a little bit fearless when it comes to that. Yeah, and this, and this matchup this week, you touched a little bit on the Oakland Raiders, so let's let's talk about them, what the Jets are getting themselves into here. Uh, Derek Carr, I mean, the guy's completing 72% of his passes right now. That is absolutely insane. 72 I don't care. I don't care if he's just throwing screen passes, which obviously he's not. 72 is an insane number this late in the year. It's not like we're in week four and the guy had, you know, a – like an all-time performance, it, it, the type of game that can boost your numbers for four or five games. We're, we're you know, nine, ten games into the season. This guy's completing 72% of his passes. He's got a three-to-one touchdown to INT ratio. So playing some of his best football ever, really, um, after a couple of really down seasons, after breaking his neck when he got a huge contract. Um, but you got rookie Josh Jacobs to contend with at running back. You mentioned Hunter Renfro. He's doing a really nice job for them. And a guy who I, I jokingly a couple times over the last few years, I would say mostly jokingly, there was a part of me that was like, oh, what the hell, take a flyer. Richie Incognito is playing pretty well for them. Like that dude, he just takes a couple years off, comes back, plays well for a couple years, takes a couple years off, comes back, plays well. Um, it feels like he's about 92 years old at this point. And uh, he's doing a nice job for them on the interior. So they, they do have some things going well for them at the moment. Rodney, Rodney Hudson does a nice job at center. So they've got some, some nice pieces on offense at, at the moment, the Oakland Raiders. Um, on defense, they have a nice secondary. Eric Harris at safety. Nevin Lawson at corner. Um, you know, they got Mullen at the other corner spot. They, they have some good players. Um, what do you do? You think this is a defense? I mean, how do you think the Jets match up here? Is, is this a game that they realistically have a chance to win? Um, especially, I think the I think the Jets defense against the Raiders offense is going to be the more interesting part of this game. Yes, um, I think that's what what's going to be key. Um, you know, they just had one of their rookies, a kid that I think you and I talked about during the draft process, Max Crosby. Uh, beat out Jamal Adams for uh, oh. AFC Player of the Week. He had four Great sacks game this he week. Had. So, yeah, we I talked about Jamal. You know, how interesting. Um, I'm sorry, what was that? No, I still would have given the, the uh, defense player of the week to Jamal. He's a safety. He got three sacks. Oh, Safety's only supposed to get three sacks. Edge yeah, guys, they're supposed to get three, absolutely. four sacks from time to time. Yeah, I mean, 
you know, if it was, you know, Aaron Donald or whatever, um, they'd be, you know, getting the shrine out for him. But um, Max Crosby, um, just to, you know, talk about what they've got going on 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 their defense. They've got some good players. They've got some young players, uh, Cleveland Farrell. And so the Jets offense is definitely going to be tested. But with young players comes an experience, and, you know, it's going to be important for Gase to make sure that he finds their weaknesses. But uh, at the end of the day, what I think will really determine uh, the outcome of this game is, you know, can they shut down the running game and, and Josh Jacobs, um, who's a phenomenal rookie running back. And, you know, that seems to be their bread and butter. Uh, a lot of their success on offense um, goes with his legs. If they can get him going and, and he can be moving the sticks, uh, you know, and keeping drives alive, the Jets are going to have a problem. Now, fortunately, there is one good thing about this uh, Jets team, and we are ranked number one against the run in defense. So, you know, this week I, I would assume that, you know, players like Kyle Phillips and, and Foley, Fatakasi, and, and Nate Shepard are going to be extremely important. You know, hopefully, uh, you know, a, a rookie prospect that is uh, beginning to get uh, a little bit of grief from New York already uh, Quinn and Williams, um, will this be a game where he can, you know, make his presence felt because we're all waiting and, and we definitely want to see what this young man can do. Um, so, you know, that's going to be the, the big aspect here is shutting down Josh Jacobs, putting everything onto Derek Carr, uh, because I've seen plenty of, of his football. If you put pressure on Derek Carr and you can do it early and you can get, you know, him uh, rushing his throws and, and making, you know, poor decisions, clearly, you know, this, this could be a good game for the Jets. So a lot of it's going to be about stopping the run, creating pressure on Derek Carr, and the true testament will be how well can our cornerbacks play on the outside. You know, those three factors, I think, will uh, determine our success defensively. And I think that, you know, that is, as I said, I think the, the Jets' defense against this Raiders' offense is going to be interesting. I, I think you're right. I, I saw that tweet you shot out earlier, Alex, that Fadakasi has seen his reps go down. I think we see those see an uptick again this week um, with, need, oh, you know, better. being in a position where they're going to have stuff to run. Carr is a guy who I liked him coming out of college uh, for a couple of years. I regretted the fact that Jets ended up with Calvin Pryor instead of him. Um, early on, no one really said anything to me about it. And then once Carr broke his neck and played really poorly for a couple of years, people gave me a lot of crap for it. Uh, what the hell are you talking about? This guy's terrible. He sucks. He doesn't belong in the league. And now here he is a year or two after that, uh, completing 72%, three to one TDINT ratio. So we'll see if that carries on. I think it's going to come down to, um, as you mentioned, can the Jets pressure him? Uh, Greg Williams, can he dial something up? I think we're going to see more Jamal Adams off the edge. I think if Jamal Adams can get himself another couple sacks, um, let, let's hypothetically, Alex, say Jamal Adams gets two sacks this week. At some point, does he enter the defensive player of the year uh, discussion? I think you would have to. Um, I don't. I don't see how how you couldn't because, um, as you can see, I, I, I'm I keep fighting the good fight here um, against the poor man. Um, 
Jamal Adams was labeled exclusively as a box safety coming through his draft process, and a lot of people thought Malik Hooker was going to be the better guy for this team. Um, I beg to differ. Uh, so, yeah, you, you got a, a phenomenal player that you can – you could probably line him up at, at every position on the field, maybe except for like nose tackle or defensive tackle, and and he would produce for you. So yeah, if he finds maybe you know with his position, people seem to determine the the skill set according to how many turn, interceptions you have. So I, I right. understand that you know if he gets one or two more of those, I don't see how you you can't put him in that that conversation or at least um, you know in the top two top three vote. So, yeah, he, he's just playing, you know, everything seems to just be, you know, the stars are aligning for him and, and he's, and, you know, sniffing out plays and he's making the right calls and, you know, he's uh, kind of almost jumping the snap count. So, you know, a lot of his film work and his study is beginning to, to show. So, you know, Jamal Adams for sure, he, he should be in the conversation. Uh, for top defensive player of the year if he continues uh, with the way he's playing right now. Yeah, I think it's tough not to because, you know, he said today, and I wouldn't doubt, I think Greg Williams is kind of at the point where he's like, you know what, I'm just going to turn this guy loose. And uh, he's he's yeah. well on pace to, to break the the all-time record for sacks by safety. I think it's 10 or something like that, 10 or 11. He, he um, made a call so, today that he will absolutely do that. Yeah, so um, – I, if he does that, that's that's got to put him in the conversation. When you do things that no one at your position has done in the history of the game on offense or defense, uh, I think that makes you a, at least a candidate, puts you in the discussion for defensive player of the year. So we'll see what happens this week. The thing is, it, uh, honestly, you know, the, the more unless you get out to a big lead, which is highly unlikely against this Raiders offense or this Raiders team, um, Derek Carr, John, you know, John Gruden's offense is so predicated on just getting the ball out so quickly. I know every team likes to do that nowadays, but Gruden especially is one of those, you know, West Coast offense, quick, short throws that really, you know, keep the quarterback safe. Um, I probably should have checked the uh, probably should have checked Derek Carr's sack numbers before I made that statement, by the way, because um, I, I honestly that that's one number I didn't look at um, prior to coming on. I'm going to look at that, but while I'm looking that number up uh, to see how many times he's been sacked this year, yeah, it's a pretty low number. What, uh, what's your prediction for the game, Alex? Yeah, so this is, um, this is going to be a close one, um, closer than I think people would anticipate. Uh, I, I kind of hope that the Jets continue to take the, this little small win streak that they have and get a little uh, home field advantage with the crowd. Um, I know that the Jets are doing a Star Wars giveaway, so, so hopefully the force is strong with this team this weekend and we could come away and upset Oakland. You know, it's kind of tough, you know, for teams that, you know, come across from the West Coast to the East Coast, the time difference, the the weather change. It's, it's getting, um, you know, winter's coming. Winter is here. Um, so, you know, hopefully these elements will, will uh, take the Oakland Raiders, the California team, you know, out of their element. So I'm kind of hoping for maybe like a 24 to 20 win for the Jets here. And, um I think, you know, some of the things that we talked about tonight, um, play smart football, you got to win the turnover battle, Sam's got to have a clean game, and, uh, you know, hopefully we can we can continue to uh, have a healthy rotation with the running backs as well because that clearly was very effective this past week. 
So if the Jets can continue to do the things that we've seen over the last two weeks, I don't see why they should not have a three-game winning streak after the Sunday. Yeah, I think uh, I think they have a. I mean, more of a shot than they did just a couple weeks ago. Like I said, I, I think I think Harrison and Compton could be huge, man. They're, they're listen, they're not great, but they're upgrades. You upgraded the interior interior O line, which was key. Very interested to see what happens with Brandon Shell. Um, if the O line holds up, I mean, I, I if Darnold is the real deal, which as I said, I believe he is. I think anytime your O line holds up and you have a franchise quarterback, you've got a shot. That being said, I'm I'm not that ready. I'm not that ready to say uh, to say that this team is is going to start beating teams like the Raiders. Um, I'm not saying it's impossible by, by any stretch, but you know they just we need to see them beat a good team before we say they can. Well, I guess I guess you could throw it back in my face, couldn't you, and say they beat Dallas? Um, so well, yeah, that's what I was just team. thinking of. Just go out there and have that mentality like you had against Dallas and, you know, hopefully everything falls into place. Yeah, I mean, you have to believe the game is far more winnable than it was just a couple weeks ago, but I'm still picking against the Jets this week. I'm going to say 27-20 Oakland, but that doesn't mean, uh, you know, I'm going to be rooting like crazy if this team wins this football game. I think, again, you know, I'm thinking it's a one-score game at this point. And any time you get into games that are that close, anything's possible. Derek Carr, by the way, has been sacked 15 times this year in 10 games. So he gets sacked one and a half times per game. But let's see what Greg Williams can cook up. Let's see what uh, what Jamal Adams can get going. But those are the predictions. That's it for us this week on Jet Nation Radio. Thanks so much for tuning in. Alex, uh, really enjoyed doing this one. And hopefully we're uh, we're talking about three consecutive wins this time next week. Let's go. Come on, Jets. We gotta figure this out. Let's turn let's flip the script on the second half of the year. It's time. All right. Sounds good to me, Alex. Let's uh let's let's tune in this Sunday. Hopefully win number three in a row coming up, uh, right around the corner and then you got uh what, Cincy and Miami after that. And then things can get a little bit silly. Let's let's be honest. This is this is a pivotal game for the season. It's one that they shouldn't win, but if they do, all of a sudden you're you're uh, you're flirting with 500, uh, or you have a chance realistically to be flirting with 500. Because if you can beat Oakland, you sure as hell better go out and beat Cincinnati and Miami. But players shouldn't get ahead of themselves. Fans can. That's what we do. But thanks so much for tuning in for for uh, tonight's episode. Uh, please check out our sponsor, Mile Social. Mile Social. M I L E Social dot com. They will handle all of your social media needs. If you run a business and you got too much going on, you need someone to handle your Instagram, your Snapchat, your Twitter and all your social media platforms, that's what Mile Social does. That's M-I-L-E Social. Check them out, milesocial.com. Have a great night. Thanks for tuning in, Jets fans. Take care. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23 and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets!